What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all, as always, coming to y'all from Louisville, Kentucky. Before we get going, remember you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube as well, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, where you can leave those five-star reviews where you can as well. All of those ways help us grow the show. I want to start today's podcast with the same way that I started last, last week's podcast, recapping week seven it was. And that is posing this question. Is the Big Ten the best conference in college lacrosse this season? Last week, I asked it, and I was more so doing so in you know, coming out of that first weekend of Big Ten play and really trying to, you know, it really was a question. I think this week, I'm asking it more as a statement because what we've seen from the Big Ten so far is excitement, is bananas. You could argue right now, and I have not gone and looked at the RPI, SOS, any of that at this point in time as of Sunday night, but Penn State just gets a big win over Ohio State here on Sunday afternoon. Michigan beats Maryland. We'll get to that here in just a second. Hopkins beats Rutgers. This league is exciting this year. This league has parity. This might be the best the Big Ten has been since 2016. And do you remember what happened in 2016? Two Big Ten teams made the title game, Ohio State and Maryland. Or was that 17? 2017, excuse me. 17 is when that happened. 17, 18, 19, really good use for the Big Ten overall. Are we kind of in a similar spot right now? I I don't know if it's maybe exactly to that up to that standard that we saw back then, but is is definitely a um Definitely a great league here. Definitely one of the more entertaining leagues that we've seen thus far here uh, during the 2023 season. And the biggest result of the year in the Big Ten is Michigan going into College Park and upsetting Maryland 16-11. to It's the first win over Maryland in Michigan lacrosse history. And look, Michigan has gotten big wins before. They beat a ranked Notre Dame team back in 2018. They got their first win over Johns Hopkins in 2021. That's their first win over the Blue Jays in program history. They've beaten Ohio State. This win is the biggest win in Michigan lacrosse history. Go into College Park knock off a Maryland team that was in the top five, I believe, 
coming out of last week, has been the cream of the crop in college across the past three, four seasons. Heck, the past decade plus, they've been one of those top three teams each and every year. They've been in championship weekend each and every year. For this Michigan program, who has been knocking on the door and knocking on the door, people every single season, is this Michigan's year? Is this the year they break through? Last year, a lot of people thought that was it. They end the way that they do, losing those final eight, nine games this season. That's what it was. 2021 was a year where up and down, but had some good wins. In you know, 2019, that you saw progress there as well. Each year, they've gotten better. Each year, you've seen Michigan knock on the door and, and maybe not finish. Like, they would have a good win here, but then they'd have a questionable loss there. Michigan this season, you know, has been pretty decent. And look, right now, they are five and four. Who are those four losses? Well, Virginia and Notre Dame are two. Well, Kett and Johns Hopkins are the other two. The only one of those losses that is even head scratching is the Marquette loss. And I think more so it's head scratching for the way that they lost, not who they lost to. Marquette's a good team. If you know, if Michigan would have to lost to Marquette instead of fourteen to nine, you know, fourteen to twelve or fourteen to thirteen, it looks a whole heck of a lot better. And I wouldn't say is a head scratching loss, but it is. You lose fourteen to nine to what is a good Marquette team, but the way in which they lost that one is a little head scratching. Outside of that, though, there's not really many blemishes on this record. Yes, you're not as good as Virginia. Yes, you're not as good as Notre Dame. You lost to those teams. However, they played with Virginia for basically 50 minutes of that game were right on their heels. It wasn't until the end where Virginia really pulled away and said, okay, we are Virginia. We are looking to get back to championship weekend. We've won two of the last three titles. We're not going to lose to y'all on our home field in our opener, and they turned on the Jets. That wasn't until the second half. And still, Michigan showed a lot of promise in that game being able to punch back. The most impressive thing today, or Saturday, against Maryland was the fact that Michigan didn't have to come back in this win. Michigan didn't have to overcome a deficit. They're down 1-0. They're down 2-1. That's early on in the game. After the 9.49 mark in the first quarter, they did not trail. Oh, excuse me, the 9.45 mark in the first quarter. They got back-to-back goals from Isaac Arnson and, and Justin Wheatfield. After those two goals, they did not trail the rest of the game. Wire to wire from the middle point of the first quarter till that final whistle. Unbelievable. If you were to tell me on Friday night or, Sunday, or Saturday morning, Michigan is going to win a game at 
Maryland today. And they're going to do so leading all but around, you know, 11, 12, how many it was, minutes the game. I don't think I would have believed you. But yet they did. They did. And a, a, a big piece of this is the offense, and we'll get to that. But I, I did not see this performance coming from Justin Wheatfield, from uh, Nick Vallette. So we, uh, Wheatfield goes 12 for 15 on the day. He takes the majority of the, do- of the draws at the dot. Nick Vallette goes 5 of 15 on the day. Together, the duo combined to go 17 for 30 at the faceoff dot against Luke Wheelman, one of the you know biggest stories from last season, one of the best faceoff men in the country this season again. That's the most surprising statistic to me. We feel well a good duo have been very good for Michigan well last season and have been this season, but Going up against Maryland and having that kind of performance is not what I expected. Also, offensively, this is a Michigan offense that's been very good. Scott Beda has come in and been phenomenal as a new offensive coordinator there for the Wolverines. They had 16 goals. All but six of those were assisted. And, I mean, look, they went on two big runs here. Uh, they went from you know 949 in, in the first to 319 in the first. They jump ahead six to two. They then you know in Maryland like they they snatch back. Maryland snatch backs snatches back. They pull within one seven to six with 256 left in the half, and it's a seven six game at the half. Maryland owned that second quarter. What does Michigan do in the third? They snap right back into it. Three goal run to open the third quarter and get back ahead ten to six. They then end the contest, scoring the final. What is this? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten, eleven. Six of the last, you know, eleven, twelve goals. All uh, eleven goals all from Michigan. Michigan from, I mean, the, the Michael Bame goal there gets eleven to seven. Late in that third quarter, you had Brainosco with the, uh, the, 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 you know, not buzzer beater, but with just seconds left in that third quarter. You had Daniel Maltz with the man up goal there early in the fourth. That makes it 11 to nine. And at that point, at that point, I said to myself, here we go again. This is, this is Maryland waking up. This is Maryland uh, asserting themselves as the dominant team as they often do. That's not what happened, though. Michigan did that. Michigan asserted themselves as the dominant team, as the dominant offense in College Park, inside of, was it Bode Stadium or whatever it's called now. Michigan did that. The guys with the winged helmets, not the guys with the Maryland flag on the side. What a game for Michigan. What a game. What a win. Biggest one in program history. And look, uh, you know, in years past, uh, you know, Michigan has gotten a Big Ten win. We, we mentioned that. But I didn't feel like they were going to get any other wins or 
it was that Ohio State game at the end of the regular season. And you didn't feel like in the Big Ten tournament, going up against, you know, a Maryland, a Penn State, Rutgers, whoever was the number one seed, they were going to get another one. They've at, they're at Rutgers on uh, Holy Friday next week. They then have Penn State and Ohio State at home to close out the season. I think Michigan's getting another win here in the Big Ten. Um, it, and I would not be surprised if Mer- if Michigan makes a run in the postseason, wherever they are slated in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, this is a team that is much improved from a year ago. This offense is clicking on all cylinders right now. They did so on um, on, on Saturday night. And look, they were coming off a game where the exact – I mean, like what I just described to you a minute ago about Maryland being able to assert their dominance, that happened to them a week prior at Johns Hopkins. They were neck and neck with Hopkins that entire game. And Hopkins does what they do best, explode in the fourth quarter and get that win. They lost to Notre Dame the game before that, 18-8. to Not a good day for Michigan, but again, they're not as good as Notre Dame, and that's okay. Notre Dame is one of the best teams in the country, along with Virginia, along with Duke. And I still probably think, along with Maryland, although Michigan, able to compete with them, able to do to them what I thought Michigan was going to, what I thought Maryland was going to be able to do here in the second half, especially. Um, and I'll say this about Maryland: the like offense did it. I don't know if it took a step back today. I know uh, Michigan won the possession battle and, and did so there. I don't know if I want to say the offense took a step back. Um, I do want to mention the the two goalies for Michigan real quick. Sh- uh, Shane Carr started the game, five saves in the first half. Hunter Taylor played in the second half, five saves there, fifty some odd percent save percentage. Um, you know, I I don't exactly like. I don't feel like I like like the Michigan defense was so like they, they were not so suffocating, but. They did have a good day um, and being able to hold Maryland's offense and stifle them when they could. I had someone ask me this yesterday after the win, uh, after this, this game, the win for Michigan. Are you worried about Maryland moving forward? Like, is this a win? Like, do you see, like, is this win um, for Michigan a sign of Maryland dropping off or of Maryland? taking a step back. And I'm not sure if you can mark it up to that specifically in one game. I do know the offense didn't look as good as they had been. And certainly the, uh, the, the, the fact that they were not able to get those opportunities at the dot that they usually did was very surprising, as well as the fact that the Michigan offense, that ball movement, the off-ball movement, was able to move the Maryland defense and you know, create holes in that defense and get opportunities that I don't know I've seen many other teams be able to do. And look, 
they've got one of the best defenses in the country, talent-wise. Dwight Maycall, Ajax Sepatello. Hoople's been fantastic in cage. Um, you know, he was pulled late in this one. Uh, I believe he's in the final minute or so when he was pulled for uh, Teddy Dolan. And, you know, I, I thought he did his his best there, 13 saves on the day. Um, this is really, you can't mark this up other than a, a big win for Michigan. Um, now, let's move on here to another Big Ten game that took place on Saturday directly after this one. John Hopkins, 16. Rutgers, 12. A battle between between top 10 teams. And um, let, let me ask you if you've heard this before. So uh, Johns Hopkins outscores Rutgers 4-1 to one in the fourth quarter. They outscored them 8-4 to four in the second half alone. We had seen a 7-5 to five Hopkins lead at the end of the first, and then Rutgers had kind of ha- had that big second quarter where they get three, and they get and it, it is an eight to eight game at the half. But Hopkins, they win the second half, and look, Rutgers from the two thirty mark in the first through the nine fifty two mark in the third really owned this game. They really did own this game. Uh, they scored was it one two three four. They, they scored, went on a 6-1 run during that time and were, was able to take a 10-8 lead there with 9.52, a pair from Justin Kim, uh, their uh, consecutive goals, of well, minutes apart, but two goals uh, for him, making it an 11, excuse me, a 10-8 lead. And um, Hopkins, again, is able to answer the call in late in the game, late in the third quarter, late in the fourth quarter, they step on the gas and they go. And they did it again. They did it again. I cannot believe it. I the the the, the amount of goals this team has scored in the second half and the fourth quarter is and the, the second half performances this team has had this year is astounding. They're a fantastic second-half team. But here's the interesting thing. They didn't necessarily even need to do that. If they could have played a complete game, they were up 7-3 to three at one point in the first quarter, late in the first quarter. Rutgers gets back into things. They have some good opportunities in transition. They have some good opportunities in the 6-on-6. Six six, and they get some really good stops. On the back end. Now, I, I do think it's interesting that after the um, what was it after the um, uh, after the first quarter, they pulled Kyle Mullen, Rutgers did, and puts in Anthony Palmer. He had nine saves. Kyle Mullen had zero saves in this game. Did not stop a shot in the first quarter for uh, Rutgers in this contest. Anthony Palmer was pretty decent in cage. Uh, for Hopkins, Tim Marcel, 14 saves on the day for him as they get uh, past Rutgers, uh, pull away from Rutgers in a really big win there. Hopkins scores 
uh, the final three goals of this one, including a Brett Martin uh, breaking the 10-man ride with 57 seconds left in the contest to uh, really seal the deal on this one and ensure the 16-12 to win there for Johns Hopkins. Um, look, Hopkins continues to struggle at the faceoff dot. Uh, their defense continues to show up for them. Their defense continues to uh, get big stops for them. And their offense, once again, um, it, it is looking fantastic under John Collie. It has all season, and you see it just continuing to develop, continuing to get depth there. Uh, Jacob Angelis, two goals, three assists. Brooks English, two goals, one assist. Brett Martin, two goals. Casey McDermott, two goals. Ryan Evans, two goals. Also, all heavy contributors there on the offensive end for Hopkins. This offense continues to uh, progress, continues to showcase its depth, continues to get better here. And you uh, one under John Crowley is a success for this Hopkins offense for sure. This is the year, I think, that we've been waiting for for Hopkins, and they're finally getting it under Peter Milliman. Is Hopkins going to win the Big Ten? I don't know. But they control that conference right now. And uh, the next three, four weeks are going to be certainly interesting in that league, to say the least. I do want to mention one final Big Ten game here. Um, Penn State 17, Ohio State 9. Penn State surges in the second half in this one to get the win. Matt Costin, six points, three goals, three assists. Jack Trainer. Five goals, three uh, five points off three goals and two assists. Two and two for Kevin Winkoff. One goal, three assists for TJ Malone. Three goals for Matt Trainer. Volume scoring for Penn State. They were able to get by this Ohio State defense that had such a great week last week against Rutgers. Penalty continues. I mean, Penn State was the favorite team coming in here, the higher-ranked team, but continuing. You know, parity continues in this league. Ohio, State's beat, Ohio State beats Rutgers last week. They go into Happy Valley this week, and they come out sad, 17-9 win for Penn State. In this one, a big day here for the Nittany Lions. They move to 7-3. and three. Um, Look, you look at the Big Ten right now, I'm not sure who the top team is. I'm not sure who the top team is. You've got Hopkins at the top. I think you've got Penn State. And um, I guess it would be Maryland sitting there at that number two spot. Um, and then probably Ohio State's one and one as well. And then Michigan's one and one as well. So things could go any which way over the next, you know, three, four weeks here as we march toward the end of the season and, and, and this kind of sprint towards uh, the postseason and the Big Ten, again, um, arguably the best conference in college across this season. And uh, we are just two weeks into conference play. Uh, it's been amazing thus far. And uh, moving to the Ivy League now, Let's hit, and this is the game that I watched 
uh, at the noon slate was, was more was mostly keen, uh, you know, locked into yeah, uh, Penn 17, Yale 16. This was a must win game for both teams, and both teams more or less play like it. Uh, Yale, I, I, I gotta say it, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I am going to give a lot of credit to the Yale defense on the day. Three cost turnovers, two ground balls for Michael Alexander to lead the way. Two cost turnovers, two ground balls for Jack Stusen. I thought those two guys in particular played very well in this contest. Um, I thought, you know, you look at what did Paul Kett have on the day? 13 saves. I thought he was very good. He's con- the most consistent guy on the back end for Yale this season. So he continues that. I um I really was impressed with Yale's ability in this one to, to bounce back. Um, you know, you look at the, the past couple of weeks, and look, I, I think we should we should note this. We should note this. Yale did not allow 20 plus goals. They did that against Cornell. They did that against Princeton. They hold Penn to 17. That's progress, people. That's progress. And look, Yale, um, I mean, this was a 13-9 Yale game with 8.26 left in the third. They held Penn to, what was it, two goals for a long stretch of this contest from the 13.51 mark to the uh, 8.26 mark or, or the uh, – Excuse me, 241 mark of the third. They held them to two goals uh, practically for a good chunk of time in this contest. I thought Yale's ability to play in the middle of the field returned in this one. They held both the stats here. Uh, 20 for 25 was Penn and Clearing. Now, Yale was 21 for 23. A couple of those, one of those, um, I, I feel was especially important, um, and, and that was, let me look my notes here, at the, what minute mark was that? At the 9.23 remaining in the first half, Matt Brandau is running down the field, no one around him, puts it past Emmett Carroll, and... Uh, that Brandau goal pulls them within seven to six. That Brandau goal is the second of a seven to two run for the Bulldogs that helped them take an 11 to nine advantage in this one. That goal came off a successful ride, successful ride. And, you know, one thing that was interesting in this one, Penn gets up 4-0 and Yale's able to respond. They're playing well in the middle of the field. Their defense is looking better. They're getting the looks they want offensively. I I really felt like Yale improved in this one. And Penn, I don't want to say they did the same thing they always do, but Penn, again, comes up clutch. Penn, again, comes up clutch. They win a close contest. And they're always in these close contests. They come up clutch again. They scored the final three goals. They scored three in a row, you know, late in the third quarter to make it a 13, uh, you know, to to make it a 
uh, 12-13 game uh, in 13-12 game Yale advantage. Machado Rodriguez gets one for Yale, and you're kind of thinking, okay, back and forth here now. Yale gets ahead again. Um, and then, look, Ben Smith, Ty and Walsh get to, to tie it up you know, early in the fourth quarter. Carson Cool, um, Brad Sharp, back-to-back there for Yale. 16-14 game. Robert Shane, Ben Smith, Ty and Walsh, the final three goals in this contest. Emmett Carroll with a massive stop late in this one. Penn comes up clutch once again. They win a close game once again. It's a story as old as time. Uh, Penn's ability to come back in this one and be able to just avalanche the avalanche uh, here late in the third through that final buzzer. Very impressive. Very, very impressive here for the Quakers. And I don't know if we should be impressed by that. Um, because that's what Penn does. I will say one thing that I did notice here early in the game um, what, and, and throughout this game is Penn's offense seemed to settle in. And Yale's offense seemed to settle in at different times, though. So Penn, they get, they're up, you know, 4 nothing with 7.42 left in the first quarter. They are up 6-3. to three. Uh, at the end of excuse me, six to four at the end of the first quarter, and three of those six goals all came in transition or on unsettled situations. Penn had a hard time setting up their offense, getting what they wanted in six on six early in this game, and that was detrimental to them. That was detrimental to them, not being able to do that led to a lot of really good Yale stops and led to a lot of really good Yale opportunities that they had to uh, get this one uh, to where they were able to get it. If, you know, and, and Chris Arcelli was winning at the dot 20 for 34 on the day. Like it wasn't like Yale was winning the faceoff and getting these defensive stops. It, it, it was defensive stops mostly um, because Chris Arcelli was doing a great job at the dot uh, and especially, I think, did so later on in this game in the second half. But Penn's ability uh, uh, inability to settle down when they need to settle in and get things going in six-on-six six continues to be um, a concern of this team here. And, you know, I, I think both these teams are good. I, I just don't know how good. And, like, all the pieces together – what are each of these teams? Are they top 20 teams? Right now, I have Yale still sitting outside there. Obviously, you have to. I've penned at like 20. I don't I don't know. Um, I don't think either of these teams will probably make the tournament um, unless they win the Ivy League. And that, for Yale at least, is not looking good right now. Um, Penn, a, a great win for them and, and being able to come back the way they did. It was a fun to watch, fun shootout there. Um some, some final stats here. Ben Smith, four goals, one assist. He put this team on his back as well as Ty and Walsh had four goals there as well. Sam Hanley, three goals, two assists. He had some really nice looks early. Was able to kind of convert and, and settle in as the game went on, just like the rest of this offense. You know, he's improving uh, his game after maybe a slower start than many expected. Leo Johnson had four goals and two assists there for Yale. Matt Brandau had three 
goals. Emmett Kittle, 12 saves on the day to anchor that pen defense, including that massive stop there at the end of the contest. Now, the last game I want to mention here is, um, and I don't and really dive deep into, I am not, I'm not exactly sure what to take away from this one. Well, I do. Uh, Georgetown's good. Georgetown is on a tail right now. You know, they started terrible, 0-3. They've won each of their five games since then. And that includes a 13-6 win over Denver over the weekend. I, you know, this was a 7-2 game late, uh, no, early midway through the second quarter, a 7-4 game at the half. And, you know, Georgetown wins 13-6. They allow two goals in the second half. Very good defensive performance here from Georgetown. In this contest, Will Bowen, three ground balls, five cost turnovers. There, uh, Wallace Halpert, four ground balls, two cost turnovers. Uh, Schraffenberger, very good in cage with eight saves on the day. Um, and then you look at the Georgetown offense. Grand Bundy Jr., four goals. You got Brian Minikis, Nikki Solomon, each with two goals and one assist. Jacob Kelly, one goal, two assists. Dordovic, one and one. De- uh, Declan McDermott, one and one. James Riley, one and one, as well as going 15 for 22 at the dot. He dominated the matchup against Alex Sathakis. Jordan Ray, the freshman, one goal, one assist as well for um, Georgetown. And this one, Patrick Krogan, another freshman with one assist on the day as well. I just think uh, uh, an, uh, an all-around dominating win here for uh, for Georgetown. Though defense obviously is going to steal headlines, holding Denver to six goals. And having the day that, you know, Bowen and those guys had one, and I just want to read you this one stat, and, and we'll move on here to kind of look at some other contests briefly before we get off of here. One stat, and I, I don't, is this, I think this is the padlock stat of this game. Um, and that padlock stat, I mean, like, if you didn't know, if you didn't watch the game, I just handed you the score sheet. And I said, why did this team win? You'd point to this stat. Georgetown 40, Denver 18. That's the ground ball differential or the ground ball battle. 40 to 18, 4 0 to 1 8 in favor of the Hoyas. Georgetown dominated this game. Every facet. Every facet. Every single facet. Now let's move on to some other games here. Want to just kind of highlight for a second. Um, number one here is um, Army and Bucknell. I, I'm going to have to – I've not been able to watch this one yet, so I don't want to speak too much on it. Uh, Army did dominate the second half, but – uh, was concerning when I saw the halftime score of this one, which I don't remember what it was, but Army, I think they were trailing, was it? Um, like four to three or something like that? Um, I'm going to have to go back and watch that one and, and just kind of see what went on there. Um, 
Mayalist beats Manhattan 10 to 9. Uh, that is Mayalist's first win in conference play this season. Oh, actually, no, it's me. The third win in conference play, second consecutive win uh, there uh, this uh, season. And, uh, you know, they had not won a game. They had a sh- really tough start, starting 0 4, beat Bucknell, beat Wagner, lost uh, to Canisius, Piat, 0 2 starting league play beat Sacred Heart, and beat Manhattan, who I thought was the best team in the MAC so far. Um, it's getting wacky in the MAC, folk. it's, folks. It's getting wacky in the MAC. It's also getting a, a little wacky here in the A-Sun, where on Friday you had Utah take down Jacksonville 18-5. to um, Utah, a massive, massive first-half run. For those guys in Jacksonville, just unable to come back from it. Ryan Steins, five goals, one assist. Uh, Jared Andrela, four goals there for uh, the Utes. Fantastic day. Colin Lenskold, 17 saves in cage. He played fantastic for the Utes. And that one, uh, Navy with a big upset, 10-8. to eight. Another game I'm going to have to go back and watch uh, tomorrow and, and really get a look at how things went down in that one big upset there in the Patriot League. Uh, Princeton holds off Brown 16-12. to Game wasn't ever much like in doubt, I think, in the second half. Brown had a little spurt where you thought, ooh, maybe something could happen, but ends up not being so. St. Joseph's in Richmond, an absolute uh, classic, as tight as we thought it would be. In this one, 14 12, uh, Richmond in this contest. Carter Page, Stephen Dwyer each go three and one on the day for the Hawks. Levi Anderson with three goals in that one. Is that call 58% uh, at the faceoff dot? Um, really, a, a really good battle. And, and I, I can't wait to see these teams play again. I think they, I think they're going to. And, and that's going to be a fun one to be sure. Uh, Stony Brook, 13,012. Matt Anderson, four goals in that one to lead the way for uh, Stony Brook. Um, I don't know if I want to call this one an upset, um, but I think I will. Providence, 16, Marquette, 14. Marquette team that beat both Michigan and Penn State loses to Providence. Five assists for Ryan Bell. Five goals for Matt Grillo. Big, big win here for Bobby Benson and the Flyers in their big East opener. Uh, Will be interesting to see how they do moving forward uh, in this big East slate. And then real quick, last two games to mention here. um, Notre Dame, 20 Syracuse 12. This was a, was it a 11-11 game at one point in the third quarter? Um, or in the third? I mean, Notre Dame finishes strong in this one. And, you know, Pat Cavanaugh, two, three, two goals, three assists. Eric Dobson, three goals, two assists. Chris Cavanaugh, three goals, one assist. Um, look, Will Lynch. Freaking amazing. 23 for 33 at the dot. 
70%. Syracuse has to figure out the face-off dot this year, this offseason, sometime. They've got to figure it out. That is one of their weaknesses, and they've made a lot of improvements this season offensively in cage. I think even defense. Sam Alexo played fantastic. I saw on Twitter someone say he looks a little like Jordan, uh, like, um, what's his name, Joel White. I I don't know if I'd say that yet, but uh, definitely has some Joel White in him, if you know what I mean, how he can take it up the field and be an impact both defensively and in transition. Duke 16, Virginia 14. What can I say? It happened again. It happened again. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised at all. Duke beats Virginia in the regular season. It's a story as old as time. It's the one thing that you can always count on every single year. Brennan O'Neill, six goals, three assists for nine points. Tyson Williams, three goals, one assist for four points. Garrett Ludman, three goals on the day as well. William Helm with 14 saves on the day. Connor Schoenberger held without a goal, uh, three assists there. Kenny Brower does a fantastic job on him. And I should mention, only one of those assists came when Kenny Brower was on him. His latter two assists came when Kenny Brower was serving a non-releasable penalty. So, Connor Schaumburg was held to one assist by Kenny Brower. He had three assists on the day, only one when Kenny Brower was on the field. Absolutely phenomenal day for the Duke defense. And look, Virginia, six goals from Peyton Cormier, four goals from Xander Dixon. They've got talent. They're going to be there, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, as well as Duke, as well as Notre Dame, these teams. At the end, they're fantastic. But another really good day for Duke. And Virginia ended well. This game was a lot closer in the end than it seemed because of that. I believe it was a five-goal, um, five-six-goal deficit when Virginia really started hitting the run at the end of this contest. Uh, but another big one there for uh, Duke over the Virginia Cavaliers, and that defense continues to look pretty good after what was a uh, not-so-good performance a season ago. Great progress there on the back end for the Blue Devils. And one of the areas for me coming in the season, I was really keen to look at the most, and uh, they are uh, definitely and have improved so far. So uh, really good to see that going with the Blue Devils. All right, folks, that is it for today's episode. As always, you can listen to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch on YouTube. Make sure to hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button where you can. Leave the five-star review where you can. All of those ways help us grow the show lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.